You're listening to the Jabin Chavez Leadership Podcast, a conversation designed to help you define your organizational culture and leadership values. Jabin is a pastor, artist, and highly sought after speaker who has a long track record of growing departments, ministries, and organizations. We know that this podcast will bring value to you as a leader and to your entire team. Hey everyone, Jabin here, and I am so honored that you are um, with me today for this podcast. It is February 2022. Can you believe it? Wow. So happy new year. I, uh, I did not, um, I did not do a, um, a podcast in the month of January. Our church was in a time of prayer and fasting. We were doing a, um, a Tuesday night prayer meeting where I was having to prepare for that. And so I took the month of January off, but I am back. I am pumped and I'm praying um, that God would really speak to you today. I do need to make a a bit of a disclaimer, and that is that today I will be focusing on pastors, senior pastors, and those in full-time ministry. So if you're a business leader, um, this one may not be for you, and I just want to tell you that um, I no doubt you can learn from what I'm about to share, but I'm, I'm really going to focus in on pastors, senior pastors. Just try to share my heart today, share my burden, and um, hopefully just turn our hearts to the Lord. And that's, that's really my prayer. Um, I want to start by saying this. Every generation uh, in church, in the body of Christ, and, and I, I say generation, but really every 10 to 20 years, the body of Christ um, will go into an extreme. The Holy Spirit, I believe, the Holy Spirit illuminates something. And then because we're human, because we're frail, we end up uh, with a hyper-focus on that thing that God is trying to do in the church. So maybe in the 1950s, it was the great healing revival. People were being supernaturally healed. There were miracles, signs, and wonders. And the, the move of the Holy Spirit, the gift of healing, the gift of faith, was literally um, being activated in the body of Christ. Of course, though, because we're human, that led to excess. Things like people stopped going to the doctor. Uh, people started saying things like, it's a lack of faith if you take medicine. And there was an excess. Um, the move of the Holy Spirit. We, we, we think of men like the incredible John Wimber from the Vineyard Movement. Um, the charismatic renewal. People being truly um, impacted by the move of the Holy Spirit. But what happens? Well, it leads to excess. And um, once God begins to do something new, the church doesn't know how to flow with that. So what do they do? They, they try to make it happen in their own flesh. Um, you could even take things like the faith movement. Um, there was a group of, of people that really started to realize, wow, what we say matters. 
Our words matter. Praying in the name of Jesus matters. Um, God's word matters. Uh, healing is real. The gifts are real. The supernatural is real. But then, of course, came excesses in the faith movement. You had to fly a private jet. You had to wear a certain brand of watch. And you had to be a certain level of wealth. And then and then with the, with the faith movement came fear. Oh, don't say that. We started living in this weird spirit of fear about our confession that was just unchecked. Uh, I could I could keep going. That's just some of the charismatic tradition. There's obviously been extremes in the reform community, the Calvinist community, the cessationist community, on and on and on. Um, and, and this is not new. We started doing this all the way back to when God delivered the people of Israel from Egypt. What happens? God gives them silver, God gives them gold, God gives them precious stones. Israel found favor in the sight of Egypt. They're given all this wealth. They go into the wilderness and what do they do? They melt it all down and they build a calf. They take the blessing of God and they worship it. They take the favor of God and they make it into a God. They they begin to idolize the very thing God gave them. And what did they call that calf? Do you remember? They called that calf, not Baal, not God. They called that calf the Lord. They used the most sacred name for God, the most holy name for God, Yahweh. And that's what they called the calf. That's what we do. Even now go into the New Testament church. There is this absolute amazing revival of Christianity. But then what happens? The Gnostics start coming in. With the newness of this new faith in Christ came um, an extreme called Gnosticism and on and on. It, we're, it's not new, but it is something we're dealing with. And and here is where we're at right now. I believe that God really breathed on first and foremost um, a teaching on grace. I think a lot of charismatics and a lot of Pentecostals needed to hear the message of grace. Um, I don't know about you, but I growing up in Pentecost, growing up in in the charismatic world, we you didn't you didn't open up Romans, you didn't open up Ephesians, you didn't open up Colossians or Galatians or I knew nothing of the new birth. I knew nothing of my of the finished work of Jesus Christ. So it was so important that the message of grace began to be released. God has tremendously used some really amazing men. Um, and so, and I'm just going to say their names because if you think I'm talking about them, I'm not talking about them. I am specifically, I think of Joseph Prince, who was so helpful, uh, so helpful to me to understand that I was loved by God, um, that God was my father, that it is finished. Um, another guy named Andrew Womack, very important in my life. Uh, Charles Neiman, very important in my life. Marshall Townsley, Albuquerque, New Mexico, very important in my life, who, who taught me about grace. Um, a lot of this grace wasn't new, right, to the to my friends who grew up maybe in some of the Baptist worlds or Reformed worlds. They, they knew this. But for us charismatics, boy, it was important because we didn't know this. We were legalistic and scared. and 
the, the grace message was so important to us. But then, of course, the second generation takes that and abuses it because it's what happens. We're human. Um, you, you then couple that. Here, here's where I'm talking to senior pastors now. Here we go. You then couple that with this strong leadership culture, leadership teaching, leadership uh, call. And that combo has, has not been great for a lot of people and frankly, for a lot of my friends. Because there's this, there's this um, immersion into God loves you, God cares about you, nothing can separate you from the love of God, you're good, it is finished, okay, awesome. Then there's this other immersion into you're a leader, you're the man, make the call, um, influence, 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 leadership, 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 authority, authority, authority. And that combo has not been great and has hurt a lot of people. Again, that is not Joseph Prince's fault, nor is that John Maxwell's fault. That's our fault. But it has led to a lot of issues. And I believe, uh, I'm not going to get caught up in the grace stuff right now. I believe the, the issue right now, the predominant fallacy, the predominant extreme right now for the body of Christ, for pastors, I'm talking to pastors, is leadership. Um, I feel like leadership is our golden calf. I feel like leadership is our idol. We have made a God out of leadership. See, the, the word of faith guy said, if you, don't, if you don't fly private, you don't have faith. And today we say, well, if, if you're not influential. They said, you, if you're ever sick, it must be in a lack of faith. And today we say, well, if, you're, if your church isn't growing, you must, you must be doing something wrong. It's our fallacy. It's, our, it's, it's the thing that has become extreme. It's the thing that God gave us to bless us that we've ended up worshiping. So, so here's what I want to tell you. Leadership is important. As I film this today, I have been in leadership meetings all day. It is 3 p.m. As I, as I record this. When I say leadership meetings, here's what I mean. I've been having to make calls all day day. I'm talking to architects. I'm talking to business leaders. I'm talking to guys on my team. I'm having to make decisions. I'm having to spend money. I'm having to, I'm having to look at drawings. I'm having to make changes. I mean, I'm having to call people from the church that have needs that I got to help them through. I mean, I am making leadership decisions all day. Here, here's the reality. As a pastor, I have to lead. Our church was two years old when the pandemic began and I realized I have to lead. So we have to lead. We have to make decisions. We have to be wise leaders. We, we have to be. I'm not saying that. But when you take on leadership as an identity instead of as a function, you're going to get in trouble. I'm going to say that again. If you take on leadership as an identity, and not as a function, you're going to get in trouble. I am Jabin. I am a child of God. I am loved by my heavenly father. 
I'm filled with the Holy Spirit. I'm Shannon's husband. I'm Goldie's father. That's who I am. That's who I am. I'm a guitar player. I'm a prophet. That's who I am. I'm a musician. I'm an artist. That's who I am. That, that's who I am. But listen, but I have to function as a leader. And I believe one of the issues right now is that guys have taken on leadership as an identity and they don't know how to turn it off. So they end up living in hyper honor bubbles where they want to be treated with such a radical level of um, unrealistic, ungodly respect. They bring it home. And they want their wives to honor them in an ungodly and unrealistic way. And they, they, begin, to, they begin to live their, their identity out of leadership. They're the leader. They're the man. They've, and, and what ends up happening is they end up getting high authority, high honor, high excellence. They end up pushing really hard. They end up getting a lot of influence and a lot of power. Yep, they end up getting a lot of money and they're who they really are cannot sustain this weird thing. Now listen, I'm not against success. I'm not against prosperity. I'm not against God blessing your ministry. Please understand me. But I must see leadership as a function. I function as a leader, but I'm a child of God. I function as a leader, but I'm I'm just a man. I'm just a just a regular person. I'm I'm an I'm an excellent person. I'm a responsible person. I gotta make a lot of tough calls in my life. But I refuse to see leadership as an identity. I'm I'm just a normal guy that's gonna do the dishes tonight after dinner, who's gonna take out the trash, who's gonna pick up his dog's crap. It's going to help his daughter brush her teeth before bed. I, I can't get into this thing where I think I'm that guy on the stage. Leadership is a function, not an identity. And sir, we've, we've got to humble ourselves. Pastor, we've got to humble ourselves. We've got to be very careful Yes, we need, to, we need to teach our churches honor. We need to teach our churches respect. We need to teach our churches a love for God's house and a love for ministry. But man, it's got to be all about Jesus or it will be all about us. Listen to me. If your church is not all about Jesus, I promise you it's all about you. If your church is not all about Jesus, I promise you you've made it all about you. So the first thing I want to challenge pastors with today is treat leadership as a function, not an identity. Number two, invest in your family. Invest in your family. Go to counseling. Go on vacation. Turn the phone off. Focus on your family. Invest in your family. Here's what we found out through 2020. We found out that people will leave us in a heartbeat. <laughs> We found out that if we do one wrong social media post, they're gone. They have every right to. We don't own them. 
They're God's. They, they belong to God. They're, they're in God's hands. But listen, here's what I found out. I got my family. My family is stinking important. And I love my church family and I love people. But I better not be investing more in that than I am in my family. Invest in your family. Bro, go to counseling. Take your wife on a date. Like, invest in your family. Fight for your marriage. Fight for your family. Fight, fight, fight. Invest in your family. No, your wife will not be as impressed by you as that chick is at church. Nope, she won't. She shouldn't have to. She's been with you since day one. Invest in your family. Pour into her. Bless her. Spoil her. Make her feel loved, honored, respected. Invest in your family. Number three, submit your life. Who are you submitted to? I mean, really. Because here's what we found out, huh? Here's what we found out over the last year, especially, and even just this week as I'm filming, as I'm recording this. We're as submitted as we want to be. Who are you submitted to? Who's got your Instagram login? Who can look at your text messages? Who's got your email info? Who's got your credit card details? Who are you, who are like you actually submitted to? Is your board just a bunch of yes men or are they actually speaking into your life? Submit your life. Get a pastor. Submit to a board. Get two or three really good friends around you that know every stinking thing about your life and be submitted. Stop being isolated. Stop being isolated. Stop being influential and start being submitted. Stop talking about, oh, I'm friends with this guy and I'm friends with that guy and I know that guy. Who cares? Who knows you? Submit your life. Pride cometh before the fall. I never fall like that guy. I never cheat on my wife like that guy. I never leave the ministry like that guy. I never do what that guy did. I never, bro, pride comes before the fall. Submit your life. Put boundaries around you where it will make it very, very, very hard to screw up your life. Submit your life. Number four. Make disciples. I'm, I'm, I'm going to try to speak to something that I really don't have language for. But I'm praying about it. I'm wrestling with it in the spirit. I'm, I'm talking to God about it. I'm, I'm begging God for answers. Um, I... There, there, there has become a massive focus on culture, organizational culture. I love it. I love culture. I love talking culture. I love building culture. I love fighting for culture. I love protecting culture. I love advancing culture. But having a strong culture does not necessarily mean you're making disciples. Having a strong culture does not mean you're necessarily making disciples. 
Who are you pouring into? Who, who is pulling on you spiritually? Where you're not just walking into staff meetings going, okay, we need to say amen louder. We need to be nicer. We need to smile more. And we need to be more excellent. And all, all that's fine. Who are you pouring your life into? Are you making disciples? Are you making, who are you discipling? Your church may have a great culture. I know mine does. Like, listen, let me just talk to me. I'll just speak to my own weakness. Our church has an unbelievable culture. Worship culture, through the roof. Prayer culture, through the roof. Preaching culture, through the roof. So proud, so proud, so proud of our church. So proud of our church. And honestly, I feel like I'm a good leader. I feel like I've, I feel like I've fought for that. But are we making disciplined followers of Jesus Christ? I don't know. I think so. I think I'm probably being hard on myself, but who am I pouring into spiritually? Who are we pouring into spiritually that we're making a divine, eternal impact? Not that just helps our church, but grows their walk with Jesus. See, that's the difference. You can build a culture and you can build people that build your church. But when you make disciples, you're building men and women to love and honor and serve and need and submit their lives to Christ. Are are you doing that? Who are you discipling? Who are you pouring your life into? I'll end with this story. I was taking guitar lessons. Uh, I was in my early 20s. I was a really good guitar player back then. I never, I, I rarely touch the guitar now. I, I, I always have one around that I pick around on. But I mean, I used to really play, really practice, really. I was a really good guitar player. And, and um, I had this guitar teacher. And... Um, his name was James McIntyre. And I said, James, I feel like I've hit a wall. I just feel like I've hit a plateau. I've just, I mean, I practice and I practice and I practice and I practice. And I just, I feel like I've got nothing left. I can't, I can't get further. And he said, oh, easy. And I said, what? And he said, you need to pick up some guitar students. And I thought, what, what do you mean? And and he said, you need to begin to teach what you know. And you need to begin to teach guitar. And he goes, it will break something in your heart. It'll break something in your mind. It'll break something in that plateau. And you'll go to the next level musically. And sure enough, it did. I think a lot of times as pastors, it's like, what else can I learn? What else can I learn? What else can I learn? And how do I grow? And how do I grow? And I'm going to make this church even better. And we're going to get bigger. And I got to raise more money. And we got to da-da-da-da-da. What if you just poured into a group of men? Hey, pastor, what if you took five guys and you just got them filled with the Holy Ghost and you taught them about the third person of the Trinity, the Holy Spirit? What if you walked a group of guys through the book of James? What if you took a group of guys and you walked them through a marriage course? What if you, what if you just made disciples? What would that do to you? It's going it's to change those men's hearts forever. But what's it going to do to you?
It's going to break. It's going to. It's going to break something open in your life. Make disciples, or we will continue to make just a leadership influence authority. Leadership influence authority culture. We're going to make those things idols, and we're going to forget that we're ministers. You're not. You're not just a coach. <laughs> you're not the senior leader. You're not an organizational leader. You're a pastor. You're a pastor. And you got to pastor people. And you got to live holy. And you got to live right. God, we got to stop with this adultery. We got to stop with this. We got to stop with this drug addiction. We got to stop with this alcoholism. We must. There must be a revival amongst pastors. And I'm just telling you right now, these four things I shared with you, they're going to they're gonna begin to change your life. Number one, treat leadership as a function, not an identity. Number two, invest in your family. Invest in your personal life. Invest in your family. Number three, submit your life to leadership. Number four, make disciples. I'm praying for you. I'm praying for me. I'm praying that we would be like the Apostle Paul that we would be able to say at the end of our life, 2 Timothy chapter 4, I fought the good fight, finished the race, I kept the faith. And now there is in store for me a crown of righteousness that the Lord, the righteous judge, would award to me on that day, but not only to me, but all. That's you and me. All who long for his appearing. I pray that we'd be able to finish strong. I pray if you're in trouble today, you'll go get the help you need. I pray if you're in a debilitating sin issue, you'll repent and confess. I pray if you're addicted to a substance, you would repent and confess. I pray today if you're in an inappropriate relationship, you would repent and confess. I pray today if you're full of pride, that that would never happen to you, that you would put boundaries around your life so it never does. Oh God, soften our heart to you, to our families, and to the plan that you have for our life. Father, finally, I pray for a supernatural love for your word. God, help us to be able to say like the psalmist, I love your law, O God. Help us to love your word. Love you, love our families, and love people. In the mighty name of Jesus, amen. Love you guys.